Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Welcome, welcome, all listeners. I'm so glad that you're joining us today, which is June 20th, 2018. We are going to have a mind-blowing experience today because with us is Richard Gordon, and we're going to be talking about his latest book, The Secret Nature of Matter. Background on Richard is that he has been Well, I would say he's really a pioneer in the field of energy medicine. Uh, He's practiced this for over 40 years. He's the author author of four best-selling books, and these are published in 17 languages. He has worked in over 50 countries. And what more can be said about this phenomenal man? Let's bring him on the show now. Hello there, Richard. Thank you so much for joining us. Denise, what a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I always like to start my show out, and everybody knows this. How did you get on this path? When did it all start? Well, when I was just turning 24, I went to a doctor, and he said, yeah, you got a lot of things wrong, skin, lungs, intestines, and so forth. He said, but nothing's bad enough yet. Why don't you come back when you feel worse? And I thought this was probably the worst advice I had ever heard in my life. It's like the engine's making noise. Why don't you come back when it no longer works, right? Uh So I went to a holistic health school. I studied quite a number of subjects and became introduced to a form of energy healing that was the subject of my first book, uh, Your, Your Healing Hands. And that one was a bestseller throughout the 1980s. And just before it got released, months before it came out, I attended a seminar with this gentleman named Robert Rasmussen. And I thought he was somebody's obese grandpa just telling tall tales. He was saying, oh yeah, I dissolved this tumor and the bones spontaneously healed. And then he says, oh yeah, I just touch people and bones move into alignment. I'm thinking, yeah, he's so full of it. But My girlfriend gets up to the front of the room. We're looking at her scoliosis in her back, and he just touches her hips. And you see the hips roll right under his hand. And then the shoulders moved, and the occiput under the base of the skull just realigned. And he went up and down her spine. I'm watching the scoliosis 50% straightening out in about seven or eight minutes. I'm my jaws on the floor. And I thought, well, he's got a rare gift, and I'm never going to learn it. But I did. I did learn how to use it. And I apprenticed with him, took over in his retirement, evolved his work so radically uh, that it's almost unrecognizable from the original, made it so people 
can do extraordinary healing work really quickly and easily without any fanfare or belief system. I don't ask anybody to believe any of this. Just try it out. Use it and get results. And that was the beginning of this very long journey that I've been on because it was exactly 40 years ago. It was uh, in the summer of 1978 that I took that workshop from Bob Rasmussen. And that's by the time my first book was coming out. So I'd been in this for a long time. That had to be amazing to experience something like that. Uh, It's almost like science fiction. Well, what's happening today looks like science fiction also. When ordinary people learn that they can raise their own body vibration, which improves their own health, but what happens is they've learned to hold a field of energy around another person. So we have a newsletter that's going to be coming out today or tomorrow or very shortly, and it's focused on traumatic brain injury. And we've got like seven stories that, that have been sent in to us about crazy things that make the doctors not believe it's possible. Like one story was about a fireman who got struck mm-hmm. by a car outside the firehouse and he was thrown 70 feet and they thought he's never going to be okay and he's probably going to die. And one of his fellow firefighters sat with him using this energy work and the guy was able to come home and li- live a normal life. We have story after story. So that's actually going to be the subject of our next research project is to look at traumatic brain injuries and also strokes because we have so many stories coming in where ordinary people doing these sessions are able to make progress in ways that astound physicians. And we're going to talk about that today, what the process oh, is. So let's, uh, let's talk about um, energy and intention and how does somebody put this into practice? You see, everybody is alive, who is alive, of course. And that the thing that differentiates somebody living from non-living is this what I'll call life force energy that the Chinese call chi and the Japanese call ki and the yogis mm-hmm. call prana. And Dr. Beverly Rubick found 76 words that different cultures use for this life force energy, this animating current that flows through us. There are very simple breathing and body awareness exercises that people can learn very quickly and very easily. It's probably the easiest skill that anybody can ever pick up. And then you hold a field of energy around the affected tissue. So, for example, if they had knee problems, you'd sandwich the knee and you'd do the breathing and body awareness. You're working the whole time. It isn't like Reiki where you're waiting for the energy to come. You're bringing it. You're amping it up yourself and you bring your love and your gratitude and your positive feelings. And then we see phenomenon that often have not even been reported because the body has an extraordinary ability for self healing And it's important to recognize that all healing is self-healing. Even though you got your hands over their knee, it's their knee that has to heal itself. So what Mm -hmm. we do is when we 
hold that field of energy, their body knows how to utilize that energy for its own self-healing process. So we like to say that the definition of a healer is someone sick who got well, and a great healer, someone very sick who got well quickly. We're not actually healing them. We're holding that energy for them to heal themselves. Hmm. Well, can an individual do the same for themselves? Yes, but not always. One of the things, of course, some of my students got really upset at me when I said that one time because Mm -hmm. they're able to help themselves better than I was. Not everybody is good at working on themselves. Some people are better than others. But consider, if if you're just running the same water through the same pipes over and over again, it's not a surprise. If you buy a beautiful gift and gift wrap it and wait for that perfect moment to give it, and then you give it to yourself, it doesn't have any surprise to it, does it? True. But if you, but the gift, somebody strokes your arm who you really love, that can feel amazing, but if you stroke your own, own arm, it doesn't do much. Mm-hmm. So other people's energy is a surprise to your system. Oh, and it okay. often works much better than your own energy. But some people are really good at self-love in that way, and they can give themselves that energy and have a really deep impact on themselves. And especially okay. if you've, you know, we, we have tons of stories where people have burned themselves terribly and there was nobody else around and they were able to take all the pain away and not have to have, you know, blisters or scars and stuff like that. So what do you think is the, uh, the main factor that some people can self heal and others can't? Does it have to do with their consciousness or level of consciousness? I, I really wouldn't know how to quantify or, or generalize it. Uh, almost everybody can do some pretty darn good work if they've had an injury, for example. Mm-hmm. But if they have a, a more of like a disease condition, they may not. It, it's so infused in their being that it's kind of harder to separate themselves from it. But some people have succeeded. I can't overgeneralize this. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know how to answer that question because, you know, I would love to see this researched at every university in the world. And then we could answer those questions on really deep levels mm-hmm. because this is a fundamental discovery that should be studied everywhere. But as of yet, because it's so outside the box, it's pretty much studied nowhere. Mm. Sad. Yeah, as of yet. Well, let's talk about some of your experiments, because I, I know that um, in your book, The Secret Nature of Matter, by Richard Gordon, you have quite a few of them. Yeah, so here's what happened. Before we can really talk about the experiments, you have to understand how they came about, because okay. it wouldn't even make any sense. So what happened was, I discovered back in 1978, as I mentioned, that among all the pain relief and bringing down inflammation, accelerating healing stuff, we could also move bones into alignment. And that was always a fascination for me, although it doesn't interest 99% of the people. It interested me because it was impossible. No one can align their hips while they're standing balanced, and yet it happens all the time. So then about 10 years ago, I made the discovery that I could meditate 
and cause the hips to align. And then one of my students had me meditate on a bone behind the nose and eyes called the sphenoid bone. And if I did that, the hips would level out and the cranial bones as well. And, and they wouldn't come on, they wouldn't get twisted again five or 10 years later. And that was a major breakthrough. And then I made a fundamental discovery that I could put energy and intention into a physical object. And then if I touch the intention of aligning somebody, because it's something visible that I can see in seconds. And if I touch them with that object with intent or have another person with that intent who doesn't even know my work, touch them with that object, it would immediately align them for the rest of their life because that energy intent was in the object. So that led me to run 58 experiments to find out what caused what I'll call spontaneous postural alignment, SPA. So the experiments in my book are about SPA. And now you know why I couldn't just jump into it. Because what were we testing? We're testing whether consciousness can exist in physical objects and then cause a spontaneous alignment of another person. Hmm. So if consciousness exists, um, what is the bigger question? The bigger question is, how, how the heck can that happen? <laughs> mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, if the mind is not confined to the brain and we can do distant healing, it suggests that we are spiritual beings mm-hmm. and that our love has impact on other people. And we have human abilities that we hadn't really considered because the materialists who basically run all the universities believe that everything can be reduced to math, physics, and logic. And when you realize that the love you feel is not logical, cannot be reduced to math and physics, cannot Mm -hmm. be explained through rationality, then it blows apart their entire structure of the edifice of what they teach. And Mm -hmm. this is why it can be so challenging for people who are, quote, authorities to even witness what I can demonstrate in seconds. Mm -hmm. It it really shakes them up on a very profound level. To give you an example, at a consciousness conference in Tucson, I met this guy. My friend had made a big sign for me, and the sign said, Consciousness Affects Matter, free demo. And this guy approaches me with his arms crossed and his head cocked to the side. And he said, okay, what do you got? I said, well, I'm going to align your hips without touching you. And he said, well, that's impossible. I said, great, hold that thought. And I said, well, to make it it hard on, on me, why don't you kind of lock your hips so they can't move. So he kind of stands tight. And I measure mm-hmm. him and say, oh, my goodness, you're further out of alignment than almost anybody I've ever seen in my life. Because, like, one hip was about three inches higher than the other, maybe more. And I said, okay, I'm just going to stand here and meditate. And I meditated for about 10 seconds, and I measured him. and said, oh, look, it's completely level. And he said, well, of course, you used reverse psychology on me. 
And I said, well, do you consider yourself an empirical scientist or faith-based? He said, well, empirical, of course. That was kind of an insulting question. And I said, well, as an empirical, I said, as an empirical scientist, um, don't you want to let the – I said, why don't you watch me do this on five or ten more people and see if I'm using reverse psychology? He said, if I let myself believe this just happened, everything I know about science will fall like a house of cards. Well, as an empirical scientist, don't you want to let the cards fall where they will? And he thought for a moment, and he said, not today. And he just walked Mm -hmm. away. And I could have shown him 10 more times effortlessly that this was happening. But because it violates their primary assumptions of reality, they run away. Or Mm -hmm. Galileo wrote a letter to Kepler, and he said, my dear Kepler, when the learned steadfastly refuse to look through the telescope, what shall we make of this? Shall we laugh or shall we cry? And that's exactly what this is. When you put energy and intention into an object, and it could be any object, you could just pick anything? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have these beautiful pendants that we have, that we have thousands of people putting their energy into it, and it's a collective. It just gets stronger every day. But it could have been made, it's beautiful. It's made out of, you know, gold-plated copper and crystal and all kinds of cool stuff. But it could have been made out of old cigarette butts encased in plastic for all that it mattered because all matter holds energy and intention equally. It's, it's a series of experiments that led me to that conclusion because all matter is made of, this is a technical term, God stuff. It's all made out of subatomic God stuff. Everything is made of consciousness itself, and all matter is equally able to hold energy and intention, whether it's glass, rubber, plastic, paper, uh, pebbles, water, you name it. All Mm -hmm. the matter that I tested was equally able to hold energy and intention and cause spontaneous postural alignment when given a touch. Wow. (laughs) That's Yeah. I'm speechless. Yeah, this this is mind-blowing stuff. And so my new book, The Secret Nature of Matter, outlines the process of discovery, the 58 experiments, and you can kind of follow it kind of like a mystery story, mm-hmm. how I did this experiment that led to that experiment, and what if I tried this one? And, and eventually I made this monumental discovery that I'll call conscious entanglement. And conscious entanglement... Well, I discovered it because I was seeing anomalies. I was seeing inconsistencies in some of my experiments. Like, why is this happening? And it didn't make any sense. And then I figured out experiments to sort it out and find out why I was getting these anomalies. And I stumbled across conscious entanglement. So if you have a group of objects, join them together in your mind. Anything anybody does to any one of these objects will spontaneously happen to all the objects, no matter how far they're separated. The same intent is put yeah, into for example, all the different objects. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Okay. Um, we have about 5,000 pendants, quantum touch pendants in the hands 
of our practitioners, instructors, and friends of quantum touch. And when everybody gets their pendant, they're instructed to get in touch with their deepest love, gratitude, connection to source, something uplifting, inspiring, and then hold it in their hands, breathe deeply, and infuse that energy into the collective. What gift would you want them to have? And every time somebody does that, whether they do it every day or once, once a week or a year, whenever, all 5,000 pendants are receiving that because I've previously joined them all together in my consciousness. So they're all connected together. Another example of this was when I spoke at the University of Hong Kong and the University of Macau. And I had a stage full of people. And I was going to demonstrate how you can untwist 20 or 30 people simultaneously. And the way I did it, the first time I went there, was to just meditate out loud and say, okay, I'm joining everybody in my mind, and then I'm going to meditate on this sphenoid bone, and I'm going to give it a little turn. And that's how I did it. The next time I went there, I understood conscious entanglement. So I used a little trick. I had everybody on stage hold hands. That created an entanglement because everybody mm-hmm. knew they were touching somebody else. So they had all been joined together. I reached my pocket, pulled out a coin I had meditated on previously for about six or seven seconds. And then I just took the coin and the first woman in line, I just brushed it across a few of her hairs. Just like that. And all 20 odd people were spontaneously aligned at once because that energy intention went through the whole line of people because they were already entangled together. So it almost sounds to me if your conscious entanglement of say you know a group groups of objects and and, and we're discussing pendants you know 5000 yeah. of them um could you equate it to something similar like a computer network well anything that's joined together is is a network um in, because suppose, we have wireless could, we have we have wireless computer networks yes yes but it's very different than that it's more like uh, quantum entanglement in quantum entanglement they'll pair electrons or photons and shoot them off in opposite directions where they've entangled these together so they have the same spin as, as each other they're kind of paired up and then no matter how far apart in the universe they are as soon as you observe one and see that it has like an upward spin, the other one instantly will be determined to have a downward spin. And it doesn't happen until the observation takes place. But the idea, uh, Einstein called it spooky action at a distance because how can the observation of one affect the other even if it's 100 light years apart? That's faster than the speed of light. Mm-hmm. And so... It, it seems to have something to do with consciousness. Now, Dean Radin, the head researcher at Noetic Science, has done some absolutely remarkable uh, research, and I think I would nominate him for a Nobel Prize in a second because what he found out was that uh, quantum entanglement is not just – okay, I should back up. Um, There's the famous double slit experiment in physics 
where they send a particle through a single slit. And when they photograph that photon, what happens is it shows like a bullet hole on the film. It, it goes right through like it's a particle. But if they have two slits, instead of having like a bullet hole on the other side, it creates a wave pattern. And when they set up cameras to see how is that possible? Is it touching itself? What, as soon as you set up the camera and try to observe the phenomenon, what happens is it collapses the wave and it just shows up as a particle again. So they call that the observer effect. And the observer effect, according to most scientists, is not about a person observing the particle go through the slit. It's about whether they set up a camera to observe it. Well, what Dean Radin did was he got personal with it. So they'd have the computer running the experiment and like a million times in a row, the particle never collapsed once. But when he had meditators meditating on the experiment while it was in progress, they could get the particle to collapse into a waveform again. So he picked out the people who were most successful at creating the waveform and continued the experiments like a dozen times now, where he'd also be measuring their brainwave activity and correlating what they were doing with an EEG with what the particles were doing and whether the wave was collapsing. Now this, so the wave, is um, a function of conscious entanglement. I mean, quantum entanglement, where... The, odd, the particles are connected together and the consciousness was able to collapse the wave. And what I'm showing is that it isn't simply about an experiment in physics. We have a physiological impact on people that we love right now. And we've always had it. But if you don't know how to focus and amplify it, you may not notice it. Or if you don't know where to look, you may not see it. So these are very basic human skills that have been ignored, lost, or forgotten. But they're mm-hmm. there, and we need to start learning how to access them. When, when you say that we've forgotten where to look, what do you mean? Well, how would you determine that your love and intent was having a physiological impact on another person for a traditional scientist. That's crazy talk. And there'd be no reason to look to a study that as an experiment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you don't look at something you think is insane. And since the scientists today are fundamentally materialist, they think the only thing that exists can be explained through math and physics. There's no reason okay, if somebody's loving somebody in another room, there's no reason to set up equipment to see if that love is having any physical effect on them Mm -hmm. because they don't believe it's possible. When you don't Mm -hmm. believe something's possible, you don't look there. Well, I found a very simple test, which is empirically obvious in a few seconds, which is to untwist the hips and cranial bones. It takes about two seconds to measure it if you're skilled, and you get a yes or no answer. So one of the first experiments that I ran was to find out if I'm fooling myself because the first law of science is fool yourself, okay? 
Mm-hmm. And what I did was I had a friend who worked over at a Whole Foods market and he had a massage chair and he talked to people all the time. They call him the mayor of Whole Foods because he just loves everybody and everybody wants to talk with him. And he'd meet people. I'd measure them. I'd walk around the corner, come back 40 seconds later and try to guess whether he had touched them with a quarter or not that I had charged. <laughs> oh my and, gosh. and, you know, when I got, and it took me, less than a second to get a yes or no answer. Because as soon as I touched their hips, if the hips were two inches high on that side, that's no. And if they were aligned, that's a yes. And I would be able to see. And once I had done about a dozen people, I thought, okay, I'm clearly not fooling myself. I get it every single time and it takes me a second. So once I did that experiment, I was then ready to go full bore and do all the experiments because I knew I wasn't fooling myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good answer. You know, we're talking about quantum touch. So how does that differ from, say, Reiki? Well, the Reiki work is, um, it doesn't require any skill on the part of the practitioner. People have attunements, and symbols. We have no attunements and no symbols. Reiki doesn't require any work, but the quantum touch practitioner is working the whole time. They're Mm -hmm. using a form of deep breathing and body awareness the whole time they're working to bring the energy up, to make the energy stronger and stronger as they're doing it. And the, when I interviewed, I gave a lecture once to about a hundred Reiki people and most of them were masters or third-degree Reiki people. And I just asked a simple question. How many of you ever feel tired or drained after one or more sessions? And over half the people raised their hand. Well, that's another major difference. Because quantum touch learns to raise their own energy, they never come down to match the energy of other people. And a final difference, we, aside from the fact we have no set hand positions, and we have nobody calling themselves master or any other titles, is that we see phenomenon that the Reiki community has never heard of. For example, aligning people with a light touch. Now, that's not to say there aren't brilliant people doing wonderful Reiki work, but I personally believe you don't need to take a Reiki class to be doing the work. Anybody could put their hands on someone that they love, sandwich the part that was in pain, do some deep breathing, and just bring your love to the person, and you're already going to be doing some remarkable healing right away. And spend 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes there, and you're going to see better and better results. But if you choose to learn quantum touch, you're going to learn how to amplify that energy to a much, much higher level so that you can see these phenomenon that we're looking at. For example, we did a pain study recently that was published and in a peer-reviewed journal. We went through the IRB, the Investigation Review Board, before we did it. And what we did was we had 41 people with high levels of pain. They had uh, accidents, fibromyalgia, or arthritis. Mm. And everybody identified as having a level of pain five or higher. So of the 41 participants, 
there were 50 pain conditions that they reported. Well, each person got one quantum touch session, and they reported a better than a 67% reduction of their pain from a single session. But the part that excited me the most was that all 50 pain conditions responded. We had how long, 100% how long of the, did it? How long were they out of pain? Well, we didn't we didn't do a longitudinal study. This is just a preliminary study, but they all a lot. I, I can tell you from experience, most people will have days or a week of pain relief. Dr. Norm Sheely, the founding president of the American Holistic Medical Association, wanted to do a pain study with me. And we worked on his most difficult chronic pain patients, people with 20, 30, 40 years of constant pain, who had mm. never been helped by any traditional or alternative therapy. He said, mm-hmm. I have to make the test so rigorous, I can't believe anything but the outcome. So what he saw was that uh, 10 days after I came there, all the people were still experiencing pain relief. And he was very impressed, and he wrote the foreword, to my second book, Quantum Touch, The Power to Heal, which is where most people begin their journey is exploring quantum touch because it shows them how step-by-step that they can do this. And a lot of people after reading the book or watching our video, our online video of the course, will take one from a live teacher. Now, very few people will choose to become certified practitioners and make it like one of their careers, but in my opinion, it's an essential human skill that everybody should know, even if it's only for five days of the year, because at some point, somebody you love is going to need some real healing. They're going to need uh, the pain taken down or whatever it is that they need, and you'll be able to be effective. Maybe that's not what you want to do every day, but when you need that thing, you're able to do it. So like one guy had... uh, his girlfriend uh, looked like she had broken her little toe, and he said it was bigger than the big toe, and it was all weird colors. Mm. And so they're watching a movie on, the, on television, and he's sitting there with her foot on his lap, just doing the breathing, using the body awareness, gently holding the toe for two hours. At the end of the two hours, her toe had shrunk back to its normal size, and they went dancing. So wonderful. We don't know the limits of what's possible, and that's the most exciting message. We are these spiritual beings walking mm-hmm. around like you can understand everything with, with logic or math and physics, yeah. and we yeah. completely underestimate our, our potential of who and what we are and what we can become. We're magic, and we're acting like... Everything's mundane. We're a bunch of muggles forgetting mm-hmm. that it's all magic. Do you believe we all have souls? Yeah. I don't think we have souls. I think we are souls. Okay. Here's, here's, here's a thing to consider. They say that, that uh, matter is 99999999999% empty mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. I think we are 99.9999999999% spiritual being wearing these meat suits. I think we are fundamentally spiritual beings, but we forget and we get completely identified with the money 
or the sex or the power or the prestige or whatever it is Mm -hmm. in the physical plane. Look at the car, whatever the outer external manifestations. But ultimately, what do people think about when they're dying? They think about the people they love. They Mm -hmm. think about the love in their life, not the possessions they accumulated, because it's all really about the Mm -hmm. love. It's about the spiritual connection to source that matters. People who have been terrified of death, they've done experiments with things like psilocybin mushrooms. And what they found was an extraordinarily high percentage of them felt it was one of the most important experience, one of the two or three most important experiences of their life. And many, most of them, I think it's like 75 or 80 percent, I forget the number exactly, lost their fear of death entirely because they had a connection. They felt a deeper connection within themselves. Mm-hmm. And, but this violates the code of the materialists who think that it's all physical matter and the lights, go, you know, it's like turning the TV off when you die. But if the mind is not confined to the brain, and I can prove that in a few seconds just by aligning people without touching them, then does the death of the brain mean the death Mm -hmm. of the mind? Not at all. Because if you follow the logic, if I can align somebody without touching them, that means my mind wasn't confined to my brain. Mm -hmm. And if my brain died, does that mean my mind died? Not necessarily. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that they've also done experiments with, I believe, LSD. Um, oh yeah, on cancer, on cancer, on terminal cancer patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and they had the okay. same. They had the same outcome. They weren't afraid of death. Yeah, it. You see, when a person touches that for level of knowing, I tried mm-hmm. to explain this to my mom before she died, but there's no way to explain it, and. I said, I'm, you know, I'm sorry you didn't get to experience a psychedelic while you were alive, you know, mm-hmm. while you were here. And she said, well, I don't see any reason to, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you can't explain it in words, mm-hmm. how valuable the experience can be. It's not for everybody. I'm not advertising it. You right. need to study it in a white right yeah. setting. It's not for everybody. But mm-hmm. what, the way I could describe it is imagine I have an old piece of dirty cardboard and a gray crayon. And I'm going to, tr- without using words, I'm going to try to show you what an amazing fireworks display is. It can't be expressed. It's not that the secrets, it's not that you don't want to tell people the secrets, it's that the secrets can't be told. That you mm-hmm. cannot explain something that is so far beyond language. Because language relies on your own experiences to create context or understanding. And if Mm -hmm. something is beyond context and understanding, people aren't going to understand it with words. And that's, that's the nature of those deeper spiritual experiences that many people have uh, using the plant medicines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it brings to mind when, somebody goes through cancer treatment and they're trying mm-hmm. to explain to somebody else what that's like. They can't. No, no. A lot of human experiences are like that. 
<laughs> well, know, if you haven't yeah. if you haven't personally experienced it, then you know. Yeah, a lot of times we can kind of sort of get there. I mean, here's a child ripped away by immigration, and you can only mm-hmm. imagine the abandonment and the hopelessness and the fear that they might mm-hmm. feel. Well, I can't feel what they're feeling, but I've certainly experienced fear and abandonment in my own life, and so I kind of imagine. But mm-hmm. imagine something that you can't even imagine, and mm-hmm. that's what what the deeper psychedelic experiences are, that you couldn't have imagined it. You couldn't have mm-hmm. imagined that an experience could be that meaningful and profound to you, that it would change mm-hmm. your whole perspective on reality. Right. Right. Yeah, so it kind of, it kind of takes us back to the fact that, well, we don't know how factual it is, but um, we can make a statement that the mind's not confined to the brain, so then mm-hmm. death isn't the end of consciousness. That's logical, mm-hmm. but it's not an experience. Mm-hmm. And that's, exactly. that's the, the problem with this communication is we can be logical, but it doesn't give a person the direct experience. The direct experience comes from direct experience, which is one of the reasons I really like to see uh, people experience the healing work. When I used to travel around the world giving endless lectures and workshops, burning myself out doing so, mm-hmm. one of the things I like to do was give every single person, if I could, two or three minutes of energy healing work on wherever they wanted it. And what was amazing was almost everybody could feel a profound shift in their body because I knew that that was the only way of really communicating to them that this was real. Mm-hmm. And so I'd give, I, I just kind of, and I often, like later on, I had my students show up with no screening whatsoever. I said, hey, if you want to come, come. Let's give sessions to people. And they would. And almost everybody in the room had some wonderful experience. And that's how I was able to get like 50, 70, up to 90% of the people who came to the lectures wanting to come to the workshops. It wasn't what I said. It was the experiences they were able mm-hmm. You have, and and that that communicates much more than the words. So here we are, true. just limited That's to so words true. right now. Yeah, it's it's it always comes down to what people actually do versus what they say they're gonna do. <laughs> and and the direct experience. Maybe mm-hmm. you've had a kiss that was so impactful that it just. Changed changed you inside but you couldn't have explained it so how many healers are there out in the world you know energy healers we we don't call ourselves that we call ourselves practitioners because we realize that the the healer was the one who was sick but we have about 1500 certified practitioners and maybe about 85,000 people who have taken our workshops who can do this work uh, around the world. We've got certified practitioners in over 50 countries doing mm. this. And we've got about 350 instructors teaching workshops. So if you want to experience this, you can find, go to our website at quantumtouch.com, find practitioners in your area. Uh, we have online video that you can watch a, a complete workshop being taught. You can go to classes that are being taught 
mm-hmm. by live instructors, or even just reading my book, Quantum Touch, The Power to Heal. I don't hold any secrets back. A lot of people read the book and then attend a live workshop or watch the video and then attend a live workshop. What's cool about the live workshops is you have people working on you. Mm-hmm. And so a friend of mine years ago attended one of my workshops. We had about 80 or 90 people there. And what happened was when they walked in the door, she, took a, she asked them to smile and she <laughs> took a photo of them. Doesn't mm-hmm. sound unusual. But at the end of each session, she took a photo of them after they had had a session. And I put them together and I made a video. I think you could look it up. It's called the Quantum Touch Smile. And what you see is the big happy smile, hello. And then you see a smile of absolute peace and bliss. And it is a world different kind of smile than smile for the camera. And these people weren't posing at this point. They were just experiencing. A lot of times they got a session from two people at once, and they're just blown away because now mm. they've entered the state of real deep peace and bliss, and they're lit up. Camera. You can't smile that way. You wouldn't know how. Mm-hmm. Nobody would know how. But when you're in bliss, it just emanates. And so I made a video one time, and uh, we had a piece on our website. It's Quantum Touch Smile. You might find that somewhere online. That was many years ago. Well, that's great. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us today? I think if we, well, there's there's a whole another major subject, but it's a little too much to go into. But I'll just cover it very briefly. Over. Uh, Over a 30-year period, I discovered a way to help people find and release the emotional causes of illness. And when they release the emotions and process all the way through to forgiveness, not only do symptoms disappear, but people feel grateful for having had the condition. And we call that self-created health. And it's another workshop that we offer through Quantum Touch. Because when the energy healing fails, and it will fail about 10% of the time at creating lasting benefits, maybe more than that. It's not perfect. Magic, it's wonderful, it's miraculous, but it's not Mm -hmm. perfect. And when it fails, we can go straight to the emotional cause, help a person find that emotional cause, and then to release the intensity. And only after the release of the intensity do they take responsibility and goes, yeah, they beat me up. Oh, my, I've been beating myself up ever since, and I've been beating up the people I love. Then to feel the remorse oh, wow, I really hurt myself and others that I love. And Mm -hmm. then when the bow has been pulled back so far in the depth of remorse and self-rejection, that's when we go to self-forgiveness. And that turns into explosive, overwhelming self-love that's uncontainable. And that becomes love of God, goddess, higher self, connection to source. And not only do symptoms disappear, but people feel incredibly grateful for having had the condition because it showed them how they had stopped loving. The body Mm -hmm. has the ability to be sick, not as a dysfunction, but a communication from their higher consciousness because we are spiritual beings and everything is, is part of our unfoldment as spiritual beings. So that's, that's another major topic. We don't have time for it today, but I would leave you with this one last thought that 
the people who have hurt you the most in your life always have given the message that your love didn't matter, your love wasn't valuable, or it didn't have impact. Your love wasn't enough. And I would say that the truth is, is your love is incredibly valuable. Your love does have impact, and it truly matters. And this is sort of the, the catchphrase um, for quantum touch, is your love has power, impact, value. And when we learn how to do the healing work, you can see it right before your eyes. Mm. That's a wonderful exit. <laughs> leaving well, us with those, with leaving that for us. That was a gift in itself. Well, thank you so well, much, thanks. Richard Gordon. Uh, listeners, again, his book is called The Secret Nature of Matter. Where can they purchase it? Uh, you can go on Amazon or any bookstore and uh, Mostly, they're probably going to be interested in quantum touch if they want to learn how to do the healing work, if they want to understand how that relates to consciousness and matter. They can mm-hmm. look up secret nature of matter or do both. Okay. That, that sounds really good. Are you going to have any workshops coming up? Uh, I haven't been teaching in quite some time because every time I go around teaching, I take the students away from all the teachers locally. And so... That's not fun. And uh, I've taught it so many times. My interest is in exploring new ground, not going over the same thing again and again. So Mm -hmm. I'm always on the lookout for new discoveries rather than just keep repeating the same thing over again. I mean, yeah, I mean, that that basically means that you've mastered this. You don't have to repeat. (laughs) Well, I've downloaded it sufficiently that other people can do it now. And I'm not exactly. needed for that particular function. Exactly. I've just, I have just found in life that sometimes we keep doing the same thing over and over again until we finally get it right. Well, like Groundhog's Day. <laughs> well, you take good care of yourself, Richard Gordon, and thank you so well, much. thank you. Appreciate oh, it You truly much. are a light. Well, thank Bye-bye. you again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, listeners, that wraps up our show for today. Thank you so much for joining in. I have a lot of gratitude for that. And be well and join us again next Wednesday. Same time, same place, 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Bye-bye for now. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have. And follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit Got Cancer? Now What? for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What?